new psalm tonight. Ready for a new one? Turn to Psalm 16. This is one written by David. It's got a word and description of it that uh, you might see there and wonder what in the world that is. And the good news is nobody knows. We're not sure what that is. Even the scholars don't know. And uh, so we won't worry about that. We'll worry about what we do know. You know, sometimes we get hung up on what we don't know and we ignore what we do know. And we do know some things about this psalm. David evidently was, uh, as seems to be the case so many times, he was going through a trial. Don't know what the trial was. Don't know what the timing was. It would just be a guess and just speculation if we tried to do that. And uh, I looked at it for a while and then I thought, wait a minute, again, instead of focusing on what we don't know, let's focus on what we do know. And I called this uh, Theology 101 because right here in these first three verses, David gives us some of the richest, most wonderful theology, and he didn't even have most of the Bible. And yet he, had a, he nailed it when he talks about this as he gives his testimony. And I wonder what your testimony would sound like. Some testimonies are such a blessing, and then some of them they leave you kind of wondering if the person knows what they're talking about and what they're really trusting in. The old hymn says, Are you fully trusting in His grace this hour? And we tend to say, Oh yes, of course I am. And yet we, uh, a lot of times, there are a lot of people you'll talk to, they don't have any clue what grace is. They think grace is being kind, being nice, and moving on the dance floor you know, smoothly, or having good manners, or something like that. And so let's make sure we're all real clear on that, that grace is, the traditional definition, the unmerited favor of God. In other words, it's what God gives us that we do not deserve. And because we are sinners, we are under the penalty of sin, and we deserve hell for eternity, but God instead gave us His Son. And His Son paid for our sins on the cross in full. And when we trust Him as the risen Lord, He gives us His righteousness in our place. And so I'm not tied to how good I act, how well I behave. I should do that. And the Holy Spirit motivates me to do that. But that's not the basis of my relationship with God, nor is it yours if you know Him. Now David is actually going to talk about this. For some of those people who say, we need to unhitch from the Old Testament. Well, there's an awful lot in this. And remember, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Because going all the way back to the Garden of Eden, we find wonderful prophecies and rich truths that the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter and the Apostle James and those guys that wrote the epistles, they amplify all of that kind of stuff. And we are blessed to be able to know that. So let's take a look at David's testimony here and let's make sure that ours matches up with his in Psalm 16. You got it? Verses 1 through 3. Okay, And here's what David says. Preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. O my soul, you have said to the Lord, You are my Lord. My goodness is nothing apart from you. Verse 3. 
As for the saints, God's people, the holy ones, who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones. Wonder where they got that excellence from. Excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Okay? So David, uh, I don't know what translation you are using here, but uh, mine starts off saying, preserve me, preserve me. It's another word you could say, save me. You could say, uh, keep me, some translations say. And uh, the literal Hebrew word is, watch me, keep your eye on me. And it makes me think of when my kids were little and anytime we had the uh, video camera, remember those, out uh, there would be a little kid down here going, Daddy, Daddy, tape me, Daddy, watch me, that kind of thing. There's something about a little child that they want their parents to watch them. And uh, David is doing the same thing here. Watch me. I'm in a bad situation. Keep your eye on me. And it's with the idea of saving him, rescuing him, keeping him, or preserving him. Now you notice here that uh, David is obviously not able to do this for himself. This is something that someone else is going to have to do for him. And that's what he asked for. I, uh, in you, for in you, I put my trust. I'm hanging on to you. I'm trusting you. I'm looking to you and not to myself or anyone or anything else. It's all about you. Only you, we might say. When um, we look at verse 2, he talks to himself. Oh, my soul, the real me, the inner personality, the immaterial part of me, David says. He goes, you have spoken to the Lord and you made this confession. Look at this. You are my Lord. That sounds a lot like what the Apostle Paul would say, like in Philippians chapter 2 and other places. Sounded like what Jesus said to people. Why do you call me Lord and not do the things that I say? Well, there's that confession of, uh, of the Lordship of God. And he says, my goodness is nothing apart from you. In other words, uh, does that remind you of anything? That uh, my goodness, it may be looking good to me, but it stinks to you. My goodness may be something that I hold on to, and yet it's not something that the Lord would accept. It's nothing apart from Him. We have to have Him. And then he talks about the saints, the holy ones who are on the earth. They are the excellent ones. Well, if God gives you His righteousness or the righteousness of Christ then you are someone with an excellent spirit. You have the excellencies of Christ on your account. Talk about being secure. And then it says, not only are they excellent, but he says he delights in them. And he would delight in, him, in them because he's one of them. He's been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb that we just sang. He looked forward to it. We look back on it. But it's the same sacrifice that saves all of us. And it's the same righteousness that we receive whenever we trust the Lord and surrender to His Lordship. And we are kept by Him and we are secure in Him. And you can find tons of verses to look at these things. So what, what is David's theology that is the same thing that we believe. Well, number one, our trust must come outside of ourselves. Preserve me, O God, he says. 
Now, if you're trusting in yourself, you're going to die and go to hell. If you're trusting in yourself, you're going to keep falling short of the glory of God, just like the book of Romans says in the Romans Road as we uh, take that. We're always going to be, my dad used to say, a day late and a dollar short. Anybody, any of your parents ever say that? Day late and a dollar short. That, that means you're inadequate. That means you don't measure up. That means you are not ready. That means you're not prepared. And that's what it is. No matter how well we try to live, no matter how much we try to do, no matter how much we give, no matter how good we appear to other people, we're always a day late and a dollar short when it comes to redemption. Our redemption has to come outside of ourselves. And that's one of those things that I'm afraid a lot of people, even people that sit in church, well, they can't get it until the Holy Spirit gives it to them, but that's the basis for everything we do. Why do we trust God? Because we can't trust ourselves. Why is it that we come to him that we worship him why is it that we think and sing about the gospel his death on the cross his resurrection because that's all that really matters when it comes to being saved or kept or preserved whatever your translation may say it has to come from outside of us theologians call that alien righteousness it's kind of cool sounding isn't it I've got to have an alien righteousness. It cannot be my own because mine will always be inadequate, but his is always sufficient for all of my sin, past, present, and future. And to secure a place in heaven for me, it has to come from him. Isn't that amazing that all of those hundreds of years before Christ and before the Apostle Paul and before the book of Romans and Galatians and Ephesians and all of that, David had it, and David got it. He wasn't trusting in his sacrifices. He wasn't trusting in, his, in the Psalms that he had written. He wasn't trusting in his morality. He wasn't trusting in any of those things. He said, Lord, my trust is in you, outside of myself. And if we don't do that, then we don't have anything. He needed the favor and the power of someone else and he found everything he needed in God. Isn't that amazing? And we talk about trusting in Christ alone for our salvation. That's what we're saying. We're saying that what we need is what God provides and we don't need anything else. We don't add anything to it. We can't do anything to enhance it. We can't make it better. And that's why we reject the idea that baptism is essential for salvation because our salvation comes through Christ and Christ's sacrifice alone. Now we get baptized out of obedience. We get baptized as a testimony that we are in Christ. But that's because we're saved, not in order to get saved. And whatever it is that someone may say or that you may think you have to do to complete your salvation, it's nothing uh, that is nothing, that is empty, that is vain because it's Christ and it's Christ alone. And so David says you can be happy and you can be secure because everything you need you find in Jesus. The rest is gravy and uh, I like gravy by the way and so that means it's good. Think about Philippians 3, 8 through 10. Paul put it this way. We'll get a little Paul as, as well with our David stuff here. And Paul was well-schooled, by the way, as a Pharisee in what David had to say. So maybe they correlate. 
Philippians 3, 8 through 10. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, status, privilege, relationships, all of that kind of stuff, and count them as rubbish. Why? In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Now, this is important. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law or performance or rituals or morality or any of that. You can't get righteousness from that. That just points out your sin. But that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. So what was Paul saying? Essentially the same thing that David was saying. It's not in all of that worthless stuff that I tried to do to gain salvation. It's in what was done for me and given to me by the Lord Jesus Christ that is perfectly sufficient. Not having a righteousness of my own or a righteousness righteousness that looks good because I obeyed the rules. That doesn't address the heart. It doesn't address the nature. But the new birth does. And that's why Jesus said, you must be born again. He didn't say you must try harder. He didn't say you must do better. He didn't say you must keep the law. In fact, he said, your righteousness must exceed the scribes and the Pharisees. Well, how am I going to do that? By faith, trusting Christ, he gives me his righteousness which does exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. Man, David had it going on, didn't he? And that is an amazing thing. Number two, as we look at this, think about this. God relates to us as we trust him. How do we get to know God? How do we have a relationship with God? It's simply by faith. The writer of Hebrews said, without faith, it's impossible to please him. So you can't approach him any other way. You can't take an alternate route, by the way. You can't take another way. You can't find a shortcut. It always comes through Christ and through faith. The reformer said, remember those solas? Sola fide, that means only faith. Sola gratia, only grace, sola scriptura, only the scriptures, and solas deo gloria, only for the glory of Christ. And that pretty well sums it all up. And that's what David is saying here, that God relates to us as we trust in him only through faith, faith alone, not faith plus anything else, only through faith as the Lord reveals it to us. And how do we know that? Look what he says. Here's David's testimony, Theology 101. For in you I put my trust. Someone writing about Martin Luther at the beginning of the Reformation, that world-changing thing that took place in the 1500s, said the great question that Luther grappled with is one we all grapple with today. Here it is. How can a man be just or righteous before God? And it is the answer to that question, the just shall live by faith, 
that launched the nuclear impact of the Reformation, the mushroom cloud of that nuclear bomb still hangs over Christendom today. I mean, wouldn't you like to be involved in something that lasts 500 plus years and is still relevant? And that's what the Reformation was. Because when Luther began to read Romans and read Galatians, he realized keeping the sacraments of the church didn't get him any closer to heaven than he was. He was still on his way to hell. It was only through the sacrifice of Christ and the righteousness of Christ that he could have a right relationship with God by grace undeserved and through faith not of our works so we think about David as he talks about his faith and his trust being not in himself but being in the Lord Romans 1:16. I'm going to read you some verses and I want you to notice how many times that phrase the just shall live by faith pops up it's pretty important Romans 1:16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Now it's kind of sad that we always stop there. The very next verse, tied together with the word for, says, For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written... The just shall live by faith. Well, that's what turned Martin Luther, the monk in Wittenberg, uh, all on his head. The just shall live not by climbing stairs, not by being crucified like Christ. But people did that kind of stuff. Not by being flogged, not by giving up all of your possessions or anything like that. It is simply by faith. That's how we get to know the Lord. The Bible says, go into the Old Testament, that some want to unhitch from. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. Behold the proud. His soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. There's a difference. The proud put on a show and they do everything and say, look how good I am. I'm good enough to be right with God. And Habakkuk says, now there's something off kilter. You're crooked on the inside. The just live solely by faith. And everything we do is by faith. In fact, that faith is even a gift that the Lord gives us. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38 This one, we don't have to wait very long. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. That's the only way you're going to be able to approach God and have a relationship with him, in other words. It's through faith. So David makes that clear. The righteousness has to come from outside of us. And the only way we can get that righteousness and relate to God is through faith, not through our works. Now, our works will come later. And we don't work to get saved. We work because we have been saved. And there's all the difference in the world in that. So this theology and this testimony of David, way back before Paul and before Luther and all of that, David had it. And he understood it, and it's what we need to understand as well. Okay? Number three. 
David received this by calling on the Lord. You think of the verses you know in Romans chapter 10. For whoever calls upon the Lord shall be what? Saved. Yeah. David talks about calling on the Lord. In verse 2 he says, O my soul, you have said to the Lord, You are my Lord, and my goodness is nothing apart from you. What a great statement there. You're my Lord, you're the boss, I'm surrendering and submitting to you, and everything I have that would please you actually comes from you. And my goodness is nothing without you. In fact, uh, as we think about the Lordship of Jesus Christ, that's controversial. Uh, a few years ago, uh, probably in the late 80s, John MacArthur wrote his book, a great book called The Gospel According to Jesus. And in it, he made the uh, proposition that Jesus has to be Lord or you're not saved. Now, why did he do that? Because it was quite popular back then. I remember uh, hearing, uh, I think it was Pat Boone saying one time, well, I was saved in, I'll just pick out a year. I don't know if this is a year or not. But I was saved in 1971, but I didn't make Jesus Lord of my life until 1978. And that's when things really started happening. That was common to hear from pulpits in our Baptist churches. That was common to hear in testimonies. I received Jesus as Savior here, but I didn't make Him Lord until later on. And MacArthur wrote his book, and it was, uh, it, it was what kind of put him on the map, saying that is impossible, He must be Lord, or you're not saved. And man, he drew a lot of fire from all of that particularly from Dallas Theological Seminary, people were writing whole books refuting him and calling him a heretic over that. Well, I think he was right, and the Bible is um, on his side. And by the way, pray for him. The Shepherds Conference started today, and Dr. MacArthur, I saw a video update on it, was not able to preach today. He's been frail lately. He's had some heart problems and uh, has had surgery. I don't know to what extent, whether it was open heart or whether it was stents. I don't, I don't know. But he was not able to preach today. And then the person that was saying that, giving the update, said, and he broke his wrist yesterday. So he must have fallen. He's been kind of frail lately. Uh, he's up in his 80s. And so uh, whenever you think about it, just pray for him. He hopes that he'll be back to do a question and answer session with all of the people in the uh, Shepherds Conference coming up uh, maybe uh, Thursday. I'm not sure about that, but pray for him. And so when we think about the Lordship of Jesus, we think about what David said. My soul said, you are my Lord. What a confession of faith. Lord meaning master, meaning boss. It's not that I can get saved and live any way that I want. No, when I get saved, I confess Christ is Lord. You are the boss. You're the master. You are the ruler. You are the king of my life. Romans 10, 9. You know that verse. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And I think that translation has it right. The King James that I learned it on says, and confess the Lord Jesus. Well, the idea there is that Jesus is Lord. That was the confession of the early church. They were willing to die for that. Caesar is not Lord. 
Jesus is Lord. And they would uh, give their lives for that. And uh, we also need to understand too, because those people I talked about said, I trusted Christ as Savior here, but I didn't make him Lord till later on. Well, here's a problem with that. You do not make him Lord. Acts 2, 36 let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God, meaning the Father, has made him, meaning Christ, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So who made him Lord? God the Father made him Lord. You recognize that and you surrender to that whenever you are saved, but you don't make him Lord. He already is Lord, and he is Lord whether you believe him or whether you, quote-unquote, make him Lord or not. You don't diminish him a bit, and you don't enhance anything about him when you confess him as Lord. You're just realizing and recognizing and acknowledging what he already is, and you surrender to that. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Therefore God, the Father has highly exalted him, Christ, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. What does that mean? So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is, what's the word there? Lord, yeah, is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You want to be saved? You've got to confess Christ as Lord. These people are lost and they are going to do it by force before they're cast into the lake of fire. But you and I have been privileged to know Him and to confess Him as Lord and to surrender to His Lordship even today on this side. Praise His name for that. Now, how do I know how do I know that I've done this? Well, the Bible says obedience is the fruit of submitting to his lordship. I mean, if he's boss, if he's king, it doesn't make any sense to say, okay, you get to be the boss, now I'm going to go off and do whatever I want to do. That, that's ludicrous. You would never do that to an earthly king, and you certainly don't do that to a heavenly king. And uh, John chapter 3, verse 36 says... Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Well, I like that. But then he goes on. We've got to finish the verse. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So what's the desire of your life? To do what you want to do? We all have those moments. We all have those times. But if you can live your life like that, over an extended period of time and not care about it, well, I didn't say it. Jesus said, the wrath of God still abides on you. You're not a believer. We confess Jesus as Lord, and then we aim our lives in the direction of His Lordship and of His glory. Are we perfect at it? No, we're the sheep that strays, but He brings us back. And we come back and we want to confess that sin, get rid of that sin, and we want to follow the Lord. That ought to be the underlying desire of the life of a child of God. But uh, someone who doesn't do that, you need to pray for them. 
You need to pray for them. I don't care what prayer they prayed. I don't care what they say. You need to pray for them because I didn't say it. Jesus did it. And that's a dangerous situation. And so David here is personally submitting to the Lord. And he says, my goodness is nothing apart from you. So he understood you're the boss and I'm surrendering my life to you. And then he's also saying, and any good that comes out of my life is not mine. It didn't come from me. It came from you. And so you have these things that come out of your life. And you have changes that come out of your life because you were born again. Your desires begin to change. Maybe not all at once, but uh, uh, over time they change. And things that used to enthrall you just don't so much anymore. Things that you used to say, man, I wish I was lost so I could do that. Uh, you, don't, you don't think like that kind of thing anymore. You're different. And goodness comes out of your life. Now, if you're not careful, you start looking and comparing yourself to other people. Well, how can they do that and call themselves a Christian? Okay, number one, that is, that's not your call. Okay, that's the Lord's. Because if they're not saved, then they need to get saved. And if they are saved, then they have a heavenly father who is perfectly capable, capable of busting their bottom and getting them back in line, right? And so let him do that. And Quit getting proud of yourself. Well, at least, I know I'm a sinner, but at least I'm not as bad as, I don't want to point at Brother Ron, I'm not as bad as they are, right? And yet we have a tendency to play the comparison game. And we can't play that particular game. You know why? Because the goodness that comes out of me is not mine. And any goodness that comes out of you is not yours. The Bible says, My goodness is nothing apart from you. Now that makes me think of the Apostle Paul again, 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we, the undeserving sinners, might become the righteousness of God in him. So if something good comes out of your life, it's God. If something righteous comes out of your life, that's God working in and through you. You know, we try to do things for God, and the truth is He doesn't need anything we could offer. You know what the great thing is? We can surrender to Him, and He will do great things through us for His glory. That's what we're looking for. It's not our performance. It's not our work. It's not our trying to get everything right so that God will be happy. It's surrendering to the Lord because He knows exactly what to do, how to use us, and any goodness that comes out of our life is from Him. And that's why we don't look down on other people because they're not where we are and they don't understand what we understand. Well, hey, you wouldn't understand it or do it or see it had it not been for God. So quit getting on your high horse and humble yourself before the Lord and pray for other people and encourage them and help them in their walk with God and realize it all comes from you. And why is that important? Because Isaiah 64, 6 says... We have all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds, that means done by me apart from God, are like a polluted garment. We fade like a leaf and our iniquities 
are like the wind and take us away. So we've got to have the Lord. And if anything good, lasting, and righteous, anything that actually pleases God and glorifies God comes out of us, guess who did it? Not you, not me. That was the work of God in our lives. So just yield to Him and trust Him. He wants to sanctify you more than you want to be sanctified. God is for you, not against you. And He is the one that works all things for His glory in your life. And He's not your enemy and He's not working against you. He is working in you and uh, working for His glory. That's a wonderful, wonderful thing. That's the benefit of being born again. And number four, we have, David says he has a new family that he has gained. As for the saints, you know, the uh, poor Roman Catholics have the idea that to be a saint, you've got to work a miracle and you've got to have time go by and then you've got to be venerated by the Pope and all of that. And then finally you can be a saint. You know what? It's so much easier to do it God's way. Because when you bow before the Lord and you trust Christ as the full payment for your sin, confess Him as Lord and trust in His death, burial, and resurrection as payment for your sin, you know what happens? You immediately become a saint, a holy one, a set-apart one for Him. And that's what David is talking about here. As for the saints who are on the earth. They're not dead and gone. They're not somewhere else and they're not a little statue you put on your dashboard or a medal you wear around your neck or somebody that you pray to. Saints on earth. What's he talking about? People that have trusted the Lord and been redeemed by the Lord like he was. Like he was. Okay? We're a part of a wonderful family. The body of Christ, the church. We have the Lord living in us and we're set apart for His glory. And it says they are the excellent ones. How could anybody claim to be excellent? And then it says, in whom is all my delight? How, how do we delight one another? How do we delight the family of God? How do we delight God for that matter? And it's only because of His Wonderful work within us. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. It's God who works in you for His good pleasure, Paul said to the Philippians. So we think about this. We joined and became a part of a new family, a worldwide family, a family that spans ages and generations because some of us are on earth and some of us are already in heaven. And one of these days, we're all going to be unified and be a part of God's huge family as we worship Him, as we fellowship together, and as we do that all for the glory of His grace. What a day that will be. Can anybody say amen to that? That's going to be something. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called Children, notice that's plural, children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that they did not know Him. So what a separation. We can't relate to them and they can't relate to us, but we can with one another. And we may be as different as night and day in the flesh, but there's one thing all of us have in common. We know Him and He knows us. His Spirit dwells within us and we're glad that we are a part of the family of God. 
Okay? So here we are. 1 John chapter 3, 13 and 14. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. There's another warning about a lot of people who, yeah, well, I'm saved, but I don't love God, and I don't love the people of God, and I don't love the church. Oh, that's frightening to think about. You need to pray for them. John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. That's a high standard, isn't it? And you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's an amazing thing. So let's just wrap it up real quick. How, how do I love people like God calls me to love them? Well, it's got to be more than words, according to 1 John 3, 18. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. It's got to be more than just talk. We've got to do it with honor. Not just because we have to and we have to put up with one another. No, we honor each other because you are a child of the King. And I honor you as such. Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection and outdo one another in showing honor. Every time we get together, honor one another. They are your brothers and sisters, but more than that, they are His children. Honor them as such. We're a gathering of royalty every time we get together. We love other people by forgiving them. Colossians 3.13 says, Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, I'm glad that never happens here. If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. See, he doesn't leave us an option. If you've been forgiven by Christ, you have no choice but to forgive your brothers and sisters in Christ. We're to love each other in purity. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. We ought to be helping each other be better, not sinking into the mire of sin together. Pure love. And then it ought to be practical love. Do something. Do something tangible. James 2, 15 says... If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace and be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? And the truth is it doesn't. And those are the ways that we are to love each other. So David's theology, what I need comes outside of me. And David is also telling us, that his righteousness comes from the Lord through faith because he trusts in the Lord. And he starts getting all of that established, which is what so many people don't understand. They think that, yeah, it's Christ that saves, but I've got to do a lot of stuff to get him to like me, to get him to accept me. No, you trust in what he has done because Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it 
white as snow. And Christ is indeed a friend of sinners, and he gives us his unmerited favor. And what a wonderful, wonderful thing that is. No wonder they call that grace amazing, because truly it is. Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight that even way back then before any of the New Testament was written, David understood something that so many people don't understand even today. We need you. And we relate to you. And we relate to you by faith. And faith alone. And Lord, we thank you that you have taken us and you have made us what we could never be. To do what we could never do. And you get all of the glory for that. And thank you, Lord, as we looked at that last point. We love our church. And we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we ask you to help us to love them like you love them. And we thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we've got some things for you to uh, sign down here. And